Well, good morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. We're going to be resuming uh, our study in John's Gospel uh, as the the summer is past. Uh, And as you are uh, turning there, uh, as uh, I've been doing some... uh, reading for our uh, equipping our class that developing a biblical worldview i've really enjoyed uh, the the reading and uh, of uh, the the several books that i've been kind of working through bits and pieces of Uh, one of the books uh, interestingly explained uh, aristotle the greek philosopher his view of government and i thought this was very uh, intriguing he said that there were basically just three forms of government Uh, that there was a rule by a single individual uh, and within each of these three forms of government, there is a, a proper form and a deviant form. So, so the first form of government is ruled by a single individual. Uh, and uh, when that individual, uh, a monarch, uh, rules for its, uh, not for his own self-interest, but for the, the good of the people, uh, it is a, a monarchy. Uh, and, that, and that can be done well. But when that individual rules uh, for his own good, for his own advancement, it, it descends into tyranny. Okay? And uh, the second form of government that he lists is the, the rule by a few, uh, which when in its proper form he calls an, an aristocracy. Again, when those people are ruling for the good uh, of the, the whole, uh, it can be a, a wonderful thing. But uh, if those few people uh, rule for the advancement of themselves, it becomes an Oligarchy, similar to what we see right now in Afghanistan. Who now rules in Afghanistan? Taliban. There is an oligarchy. Uh, The third form of government that Aristotle lists was uh, ruled by the the many. In its proper form, he calls this a republic, uh, ruled by representation. Uh, And in its uh, deviant or degenerate form, uh, ruled by many becomes a democracy. Uh, Mob rule where the citizens make all decisions directly. And what was very interesting in each of these uh, forms of, of government, the question really comes down to uh, the leaders, right? What, what is motivating their leadership? Are they, uh, and really you can, you can answer this question, are they leading for themselves or are they leading for the people? Right? And I think that question uh, should be asked of every single political leader and as we come to john chapter 10 the the focus of this chapter is the relationship between uh, a leader and the people but also as we see in john chapter 10 that that question that we must ask out of, of every political leader are they ruling for themselves or are they ruling for the people should also be asked of religious leaders that question uh, must be asked and answered. Uh, and again, if, if this chapter only had some form of contemporary significance uh, in informing our understanding of leaders and the people, right? Uh, and ultimately, what we're going to see uh, in this chapter uh, is uh, that uh, there are spiritual leaders, religious leaders, who can... Uh, lead for their own advancement and their own advantage rather than leading out of love for the people. Now, since we have spent uh, three months away from John's Gospel, studying the Psalms and kind of looking in in other uh, contexts uh, over the the summer, uh, 
Uh, I would invite you to, if you have your, your Bible open there, to, to John chapter 10. Turn back to, to John chapter 7, verse 1. Now, this uh, scene that we're going to be uh, studying here in John chapter 10 really begins back in John chapter 7, uh, at the Feast of Booth. John arranges uh, and orders his gospel, focusing on uh, different feasts of the Jewish calendar. Uh, and the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, takes place in late uh, September or early October. And uh, what we saw as we walk, walked through John chapter 7 uh, and 8 is that Jesus connects uh, what he is going to be teaching the people with uh, events at, those, uh, at that festival. Now, there was a, a water ceremony uh, that led Jesus to stand up on the last day of the feast in John chapter 7, verse 37. And he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Uh, and then uh, there's also a, a well-known lighting ceremony, uh, and John or Jesus builds upon this in, in John chapter 8, uh, verse 12. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Uh, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Uh, and uh, so Jesus connects what he is teaching and proclaiming with what is the, the immediate experience in uh, this uh, festival. Uh, but Jesus is also going to connect uh, what he is teaching and proclaiming with a miracle that he performs. Because immediately after uh, Jesus proclaims that he is the light of the world, what does he do in John chapter 9? Well, he heals a man who was uh, born blind. He gives light. He gives sight to this man who has never seen. And as we studied our way through John chapter 9, we saw that this man was healed by Jesus, and then uh, he testifies about who Jesus is, uh, and uh, really we, we have this, uh, this contrast between this man who was blind, but now very clearly sees who Jesus is, and the religious leaders uh, who claim to see, but they have no idea who Jesus is. And ultimately, the, the last scene in John chapter 9, I would, I would direct your attention there, uh, verse 35, uh, Jesus uh, kind of had disappeared from the scene for quite some time. He, he heals the man at the beginning of chapter 9, uh, and then he disappears, and the focus becomes the man who was healed. Uh, and then Jesus comes back, and, and he finds this man in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Then who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. And then we have uh, a chapter break. And it's really easy uh, for us to, to disconnect uh, one chapter from the next chapter whenever we see a chapter break, right? It's really easy to assume, well, this is something completely different. When in actuality, uh, John chapter 10 flows immediately after John chapter 9. Uh, so this 
this last scene in John chapter 9 where you have this man who was born blind and you have some of the Pharisees who are nearby uh, listening to this story. Uh, That's the the audience and probably uh, there's probably a crowd around as well. That is the audience for what we are going to study in John chapter 10. And really this this whole scene continues until uh, John chapter uh, 10 verse 21. Uh, And then in verse 22, we're going to see another feast uh, becomes the focus, and it's the Feast of uh, Hanukkah, which takes place uh, in December. Uh, And so uh, the remainder of John, or this first part of John chapter 10, is going to build upon uh, John 9, uh, and and we have to to connect uh, these two passages uh, and understand uh, that this is a continuation. And ultimately, what we're going to, to see and study this morning is John chapter 10, verses 1 through 6, in which Jesus is going to, to speak a, a parable, uh, or as it's called in verse 6, uh, a, a figure of speech. And he's going to speak to uh, the Pharisees uh, this parable. If you would read along with me there in John chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now immediately as we as we look at that passage and you say, okay, Thomas, you're saying that this connects immediately with John chapter 9. Uh, there is a, a change in subject. So how did Jesus get from speaking to the Pharisees uh, and saying, uh, if you w- say that you have no guilt or you say that we have no guilt, now that we say that we see your guilt remains. How did he get from speaking about their acknowledgement of their own sin and their own guilt to this parable about sheep and shepherds? Uh, well, he tells this parable really to explain how this man who was born blind has been led to depart from uh, the Judaism that he grew up in, right? How he accepted being kicked out of the synagogue and how he has come to take his rightful place as a disciple of Jesus. This parable is explaining why that man came away from the Pharisees and is now following Jesus. Uh, So it's going to explain that. And then secondly, this is going to be an indictment against the Pharisees as being false prophets, uh, as being false shepherds uh, who are uh, really thieves and robbers who are seeking to abuse and destroy uh, the sheep for their own selfish gain. Uh, They are leading and ruling for themselves rather than for the good of the people. Uh, And ultimately, this parable is going to, to teach us how Jesus, as the true shepherd, interacts with his sheep. Right? And, and how would we distinguish uh, a good and faithful shepherd uh, from a false shepherd? Well, that's what we're going to see this morning, and specifically in three particular ways that Jesus, as the good shepherd, interacts with his sheep. And the first particular way that Jesus interacts with his sheep is it's found in verses 1 and 2. We could say that, that Jesus comes to love and care 
for his sheep. Jesus comes to love and care for his sheep. And, and Jesus begins this parable in, kind of in a unique way. He makes a distinction, right? Because truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. In the first part of verse 3, to him the gatekeeper opens. Now, now to, to us who have grown up in 21st century uh, America, 20th century as well, uh, th- this all seems very strange to us. We, ha- we have no concept, but for uh, G- the immediate audience that Jesus is speaking to, they would have had this concept that uh, as, uh, w- when nighttime comes, uh, w- the common custom would be for uh, a group of people, a group of families, to herd their flocks together uh, to keep them safe at night. And they would herd their flocks together into a large uh, open uh, courtyard. Uh, if this was uh, kind of near a city, it would be uh, walled. Uh, if you're out way out into the wilderness, you might have uh, brought your sheep into a pen that maybe uh, butted up against a cliff and provided safety on multiple sides, and then you only had to build two walls. But you'd, you'd bring all of the, the sheep uh, from that town or village into that sheepfold, uh, and then you may have one person who is hired as the night watcher or the, the doorman, so to speak, uh, and he would be in charge of recognizing all of the shepherds, and he would let the, the true shepherds in. Uh, and uh, if you got into the sheepfold some other way besides the door, what did that identify you as? A thief and a robber. Okay, and, and this is the, uh, the context that, that Jesus is uh, speaking within. So the shared sheepfold. Uh, and so in the morning, the, the shepherds would come. Uh, the doorman would recognize the shepherd, open up the door. And then the shepherd would go in. And then you know what he would do? With all, there was uh, you know, multiple flocks in there. He would call out uh, and his sheep uh, would respond to his voice. And they would uh, gather around him and then he would lead them out of this pen. And so Jesus is, is speaking this parable and it makes absolute sense uh, to his audience because they're seeing it on a regular basis but but in this parable uh, what we see is that he, he's laying out uh, that the sheepfold is the nation of israel okay and and there are some uh, who are in this sheepfold some who have gotten into this sheepfold not by going in through the, the door as they should have uh, but they have climbed over the walls they have dropped down in uh, and these uh, religious leaders the pharisees they are uh, thieves and robbers they have come uh, to uh, to steal and to abuse uh, the sheep within that sheepfold uh, and uh, Jesus is, is making this as an indictment to uh, the religious leaders of his day. Uh, and all of this builds upon uh, what we see in the Old Testament. Because over and over again in the Old Testament, uh, God uh, is held up and identified as the shepherd of Israel. Now, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, uh, speaking of God, says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd, and he will gather the lambs in his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom. And gently lead those that are with young. And then uh, famously, Psalm 23, how does it begin? The Lord is my shepherd. Over and over again, we see this imagery uh, of God as being the shepherd of his people. Psalm 80, verse 1 says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. 
Uh, so over and over again, we see uh, God being identified as the shepherd of Israel. Now, I want you to you can keep your finger here, but turn with me to Ezekiel 34. Because this is a very uh, important context of what Jesus is going to be uh, speaking and addressing uh, here. And again, if the, the Pharisees would have been familiar with uh, this passage in Ezekiel uh, and other passages in uh, the Old Testament that, that will uh, allude to as well. Uh, but the best picture of uh, Yahweh at being the shepherd of Israel... And the best way to, to really get a context of, of how big of an indictment is this uh, from Jesus to the religious leaders uh, comes from uh, Ezekiel chapter 34. Uh, and now this is going to be a, a lengthy read, but, but stay with me. Uh, we're going to read Ezekiel 34. We're going to read 1 through 24. This is a very important context. Verse 1 begins, The word of the Lord came to me. This is, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand, and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I... I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the 
the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself, will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant, David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. It's a powerful, powerful indictment of what was taking place in Ezekiel's day, right? And again, how how did Jesus get to speaking about shepherding from what he's just spoken of? What did Jesus do? And what did we just see in verses 9 or verse 35 to 41? What what had Jesus just done in chapter 9, verse 35? This man who had been cast out of the synagogues just because he wouldn't agree with the Pharisees about who Jesus was. Right? The shepherds threw out this sheep. And what had Jesus just gone and done? He went and found him. And he had already healed him and bound him up and cared for him in a way that the shepherds never had and never could. What Jesus did in John 9 is an indictment against these false shepherds. And now he's going to to let them know. And he's really just going to, to point out They have been leading, they have been shepherding to feed themselves rather than feeding the sheep. Right? Goes back to what I said earlier. Uh, Our our motives as a leader will determine how we lead. Is my leadership for me or is my leadership uh, to be uh, cultivated on behalf of the good of others? Right? Any leader who leads for his own advantage, for his own advancement, is dangerous. We see this whether it is a corporate CEO, a mid-level manager, a mayor, a city councilman, or a president. And it is grievous when a secular leader leads for his own advancement, right? Now, even the world would agree with that. But we have to recognize also that it is even more grievous when a religious leader when a so-called shepherd leads for his own advancement. And this is what we see Jesus calling out. And this is the the common theme, right? This was happening in Ezekiel's day, uh, in Jeremiah's day. This was happening uh, in Jesus' time. uh, And this is really happening in our own time as well. That there are religious leaders who lead for their own advancement fleecing and abusing the sheep, hurting them and refusing to help them. False shepherds, and ultimately who would be replaced by the one true shepherd. If you pay any attention to the news, uh, you would see that 
virtually every year uh, somewhere in, in the church in America, there is a scandal. Uh, and uh, the, the secular media loves to, to broadcast that, right? Uh, and uh, what's amazing, on, on a regular basis, news comes out that, that a pastor uh, has been stealing money or abusing his authority or preying upon women or children in the church or he was uh, caught uh, in adultery or, or some other scandal. And I, I really wish that such scandals were not so commonplace. And I would venture to, to guess uh, that some of you, maybe many of you here, uh, have uh, received uh, wounds by uh, a, a false shepherd. Now, you, you have maybe been hurt by uh, somebody uh, who is a, a leader, and he has led falsely. He has used you and abused you for his own gain, uh, rather than truly caring for you and shepherding you. And it's hard because I know that the wounds inflicted by false teachers, those seem to be wounds that are very slow in healing. It takes time. But here, here are some truths that, that I want you to, to keep in mind. If you have open wounds of that nature, keep these truths in mind. The good shepherd has not forgotten you. But what do we see in Ezekiel 34? What was the promise? God said, there's false shepherds. That's going to be hard on the sheep. He says, there's false shepherds. What's the solution? I will go and shepherd. The good shepherd has not forgotten you. Secondly, the good shepherd is here to bind up your wounds and to bring healing. Isn't that what he promised in Ezekiel? Right? Now that, that he will come, he will bring healing, he will help those who are hurting could also say that the good shepherd is here to guide and to guard you uh, to lead you uh, into a right understanding of who he is calling and establishing as shepherds uh, to help you to, to understand what has happened in the past uh, to develop that framework and then to to move forward into the future and then also the good shepherd will deal righteously with every false shepherd Jeremiah 23, verses 1 and 2, a very similar chapter to Ezekiel 34, says this. It says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you, for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Sobering warning of future judgment there. But ultimately, how do, we, how do we know that Jesus, as the good shepherd, will do these things? Well, remember the context of everything that Jesus is promising to do. And what we are seeing right here in John is what was uh, spoken of in Ezekiel 34. Jesus is coming and shepherding and caring for his people, even as he has this man who was born blind. He has found and pursued this man, uh, and he is now leading him. And this man has responded. He has heard 
the teaching of Christ. He has been impacted by the ministry of Christ, and now he is beginning to follow him, which, which leads to the second particular way uh, in which Jesus interacts with his sheep. This is seen in verse 3. We could say that Jesus knows his sheep, and they respond to his call. Verse 3 says this, To him the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and leads them out. Again, building upon this, this shared sheepfold idea, this, this image of the ancient Near East, the, the morning comes, the shepherd calls the sheep, uh, and uh, there's amazing stories about how uh, each shepherd would have this, uh, a, uh, a unique call. I won't try and mimic or mimic them, uh, but they would give this call, and, and the sheep w- would recognize the call. They would recognize the voice of their shepherd, and they would, they would immediately come over to them. Uh, but the shepherd in this parable does even more than just go into the sheepfold and give a, a call that his sheep recognize. What does this shepherd do? It says he calls them by name. He calls them by name. He, he summons them and brings them over. Jesus doesn't struggle with names the way parents do. As a parent, you ever, if you have multiple kids, right? And one of them's acting out, and you can't seem to find the name. You're like, child, come here. Uh, Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't struggle with names. He knows each and every one of his sheep by name, and he can call and summon us to himself. Just come here. And that is exactly what we have seen throughout John's Gospel. Yes, there's been a lot of big confrontation. There's been a lot of theological debate in John's Gospel. But there has also been a lot of Jesus dealing with individuals, speaking with them and bringing individuals to himself. We saw this uh, back in John chapter 1 with the very first disciples, Andrew and and Philip and Nathaniel and John and and Peter. We see this in uh, Nicodemus coming and speaking with Jesus and Jesus having this conversation with him. We see this in John chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman. Uh, We see over and over again these personal interactions and conversations, again, leading up to uh, this interaction with the man born blind in John chapter 9. Jesus deals with individuals, and he calls us individually to himself. He doesn't call us collectively, individually. He says, hey, you come here, you come here. Uh, And uh, his sheep will respond to him. That's what we see uh, taking place. And and Jesus has come, in essence, to the sheepfold of Israel. Uh, He's come, and he's now saying, I'm gathering my sheep, my people, to myself. Uh, And in doing that, he's also rescuing them uh, from the thieves and robbers who have climbed into the sheepfold and who do not deserve to be there. But what's amazing is that when Jesus says he's come to the sheepfold uh, and that he calls and his sheep respond, what, what does that kind of seem to, to presuppose or imply? That, that somehow, some way, those sheep already belong to Christ. Uh, that, that those sheep uh, have uh, known the, the call that they have been waiting for and then they respond. And this goes back to what we have seen over and over again in John's Gospel. Uh, That what Jesus is doing is according to the big picture plan of God the Father. That God the Father has sent His Son into the world to save and rescue a people for Himself. 
Uh, and he sent his son into the world uh, to live a perfect life and die a sacrificial death to save those people. That's what we've seen over and over again in John's gospel. This is the, the plan of God. Jesus is here on a mission to call his sheep. And while the main emphasis of what Jesus is saying lands upon the, the shepherd knowing and calling the sheep, we can't just speed past uh, what this implies and says about the sheep themselves. Uh, this, this teaches us that, that the sheep need to have some type of discernment, right? Now, what's the responsibility of the sheep here? Shepherd comes into the sheepfold. What do the sheep have to do? They listen for the voice of their shepherd. They listen for his call. Uh, there is a discernment. They must discern the voice of their shepherd and uh, push away uh, the voice of every other uh, voice crying out and calling to them. The sheep must recognize the voice. They must recognize who is and who is not their shepherd. Uh, and we, as the sheep of Christ, are called to recognize His voice. Uh, we are called to recognize uh, His voice as it sounds forth from His Word. And we must recognize the voice of Jesus given life by faithful under-shepherds. Uh, in John 21, uh, after Jesus has, has been walking with His disciples for years and years... Uh, after Peter has denied him on the night of his betrayal, uh, he's going to, to reinstate Peter. Uh, and what he does is he challenges and, and commands Peter to tend his sheep, to feed his lambs. And that is what Jesus uh, commands. So even though Jesus is the chief shepherd, what does he tell Peter, the apostle, to do? To do the same thing, to feed uh, his people. Uh, and uh, within that, uh, what, we, what we hear later on, I think that, that made a dramatic impact upon the Apostle Peter. He understood what he was called to be and to do. Uh, and in 1 Peter chapter 5, as Peter is writing uh, to other leaders, this is what he says to them. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And in 1 Peter 5, what we hear echoing is John chapter 10. Uh, Peter understood that he, there was only one chief shepherd, but that the elders and leaders in a church are to be called faithful under-shepherds. Uh, that they have a shepherd that they will answer and give an account to. Uh, and these under-shepherds are also tasked with feeding and leading and caring for uh, the flock that belongs to the, sh the chief shepherd. Uh, and how are the under-shepherds supposed to shepherd? Exactly like their own shepherd. Exactly like Jesus does with his own people and the sheep are called to exercise discernment concerning those under shepherds and if a man is not echoing the voice and the call and the message of the good shepherd what are the sheep to do to flee to, to run away we are not to respond and listen to any other voice and that leads into the, the third particular that jesus gives concerning how he and his people interact with one another. First, he comes to love and care 
for the sheep in contrast with the false shepherds that were in Israel at that time. Jesus also knows his sheep and they respond to his call. And then thirdly, what we see in verses 4 and 5, that Jesus leads his sheep and they only follow him. If you look with me at those verses, it says, When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Again, in this parable, uh, where is a faithful shepherd? Out in front. Now, Western uh, shepherds uh, tend to, to drive the flock from, from behind. Uh, use a sheepdog, uh, and, and they will lead and, and direct a flock in a particular direction. But in, in, uh, in the, the Eastern, uh, Eastern practice of shepherding, uh, the shepherd goes out in front of the sheep, uh, and the sheep follow him because he's constantly calling back to them. Now, the sheep are uh, following the shepherd as he leads. Uh, and what this does is it paints a, a powerful and dramatic picture that we looked at last week. Right? When Rocky Wyatt was here last week, what was the, the very simple and basic two-word definition of discipleship that we got from Jesus? Follow me. As sheep of the Good Shepherd, what are we called to do? Follow him. Now, th- this is our command. This is the, the very heart of discipleship. Uh, and this is what sheep will do. We will hear and respond uh, to the voice and care and call of our shepherd. And we are not to follow anyone else. Even though others may may beckon, even though others may say, come, follow me, let's go do this, let's do that, let's not do this. We are called and commanded to follow only the voice of our shepherd. And we are called to flee from the voice of a stranger. Recognizing that if uh, there is a voice of a stranger in the sheepfold, he's probably a thief or a robber. We need to recognize that, that danger as well. And this ultimately makes life as a sheep relatively simple, right? Where we hear our shepherd's voice, what are we to do? Follow him. Where we hear a stranger's voice, what are we to do? Flee. That, that's what it means to, to be a sheep. That's what it means to be a disciple. And when we hear this cacophony of voices in the surrounding world, we are to listen for and discern the voice of our shepherd. So what is it that rings true from God's word right here and right now? And hopefully that comes through faithful under-shepherds, and we must not turn aside from that. And ultimately, right now many of us think uh, that that the church has has never faced uh, a time like this. We've never faced all of this pressure to, to stop following the voice of our shepherd and begin to to follow others right it seems like oh there's so much pressure right now but i have to tell you that's not the case now listen to uh this about the, the act of uniformity okay enacted in, in england in 1662 you think mask mandates and restrictions on worship and other possible mandates are looming listen to this in 1662 uh parliament the government in england uh Required uh, every minister to publicly affirm this statement. It says, I do here declare my unfeigned assent 
can consent to all and everything contained and prescribed in and by the book entitled The Book of Common Prayer and Administration of Sacraments and Other Rites and Ceremonies of the Church of England. This was Parliament uh, saying who could be ordained, what they had to teach, uh, and uh, where they could operate, in essence. Think about that. Talk about, talk about a mandate. There were 2,000 Puritan pastors who said, we can't sign that. We can't make that affirmation. So 2,000 Puritan ministers were forced to resign. This became known as the Great Ejection. Uh, and very well-known sermons uh, that they got to preach one more time. Uh, sermons of the Great Ejection. What would you say to your congregation if you had one more sermon before you were no longer going to be allowed to be their pastor? But what's interesting is that Philip Henry lived that time, made this observation about God's care for those pastors who were suddenly without a position, who were suddenly without a living. He said, although many of them were poor and had large families, he never heard of one of them who were arrested for debt. Meaning God cared for every single one of those 2,000 ministers. Right? Think about that. Those ministers were, were told, listen to my voice. You must obey. You must do this. But what did the, what did the, the, the ministers say? We don't recognize this voice. What are we called to do? Not follow, but lead. And they were willing to, to accept the consequences of that. And so here's some, some things to, to wrestle with. Within the, the quietness of our own heart, where is our faith, right? Will the good shepherd cease to care for the sheep who follow him? No. Absolutely not. Should his sheep submit to the voice of a stranger? Absolutely not. And we have to be convinced of the goodness of our shepherd. Right? Are, are we willing to just faithfully, simply follow him? To hear his voice uh, and to go where he beckons us to go. And when we hear the voices of strangers calling to us, beckoning us, telling us where to go, we flee. We disregard those voices. But ultimately, we have to be convinced of the goodness of our shepherd. We have to be convinced uh, that His grace will, will continue to lead us and guide us. And I know we sang Amazing Grace this morning. And sometimes when we sing Amazing Grace, it seems like it is so familiar to us that we kind of just, uh, everyone kind of gets a certain tone of voice as we sing that. And I don't think we, we really are, are thinking about the lyrics of that song, right? Through many dangers, toils, and fears. Uh, what has God done? Led us and guide us. Uh, and uh, His grace will do what? Lead us home. Are we convinced of that? Are we convinced of the goodness of our shepherd that we are willing to follow His voice and His voice only? That we are willing to flee from any voice that is a stranger's voice? That's how we see Jesus and his sheep interacting in this passage. And ultimately, the, 
the voice of a stranger will only be tempting if we are not convinced of the goodness of our own shepherd. If we are convinced that, that Jesus is who and all that we need, we won't be tempted to follow the voice of others. But this is what we see here. It's a very simple parable. Jesus just speaking, hypothetically, he actually hasn't even said that he is the good shepherd yet. He's just laying out, this is what the interactions are like between a sheep and his shepherd. And this is what we've seen so far. Ultimately, the true shepherd, Jesus, comes to love and care for his sheep. He is not a robber. He is not a thief. Secondly, he knows his sheep and they respond to his call. Thirdly, he leads his sheep and his sheep only follow him. And then there's an an exclamation mark uh, that that closes out this passage. Look at verse 6, right? This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. That's remarkable, right? Why did the Pharisees not understand what Jesus is saying? They don't recognize his voice. He is not their shepherd. They don't respond to him or follow him. It's remarkable to see. But for those who belong to Jesus, those who who call him shepherd, we hear his voice, we see his goodness even in hard times uh, and are convinced of his goodness even in hard times. Back in 1714, 300 years ago, A grandfather was greatly distressed about the state of the world that his grandson was born into. And this grandfather kissed his little grandson, and with tears in his eyes, he said this, Who knows what sad days these little eyes are likely to see? Right? This grandfather is so worried and so concerned. Well, that story must have been told to the grandson because later on the, the, the grandson reflected upon that. And that, that little grandson grew up to be a pastor named John Condor. And at the end of his life, he reflected upon those words of his grandfather. And he said this. He said, these eyes have for more than 60 years seen nothing but goodness and mercy follow me and the churches of Christ even to this day. We, whatever comes to pass in our own time, we must be convinced that our Lord and our Savior is the Good Shepherd. That He will not cease to love and care for us no matter what takes place. He knows each of us by name. He has summoned us to Himself. And uh, each and every one of us has a testimony, has a story similar to the man born blind in John chapter 9, right? I once was lost, right? I once was blind, but now I see. We all have that testimony, and we we are no longer lost, and we now have our sight, not because uh, we did that in our own strength, but because Christ. Because the good shepherd came, found us, pursued us, saved us, brought us into his sheepfold and now he is guiding and guarding us leading us and caring for us according to his plan and according to his purposes so let us be faithful sheep and what do faithful sheep do they follow their shepherd amen